The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. In reverence for the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them in a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, Hmm, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet, God's feet, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart heart be also. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. I'm Bill McCutcheon. It's good to have you with us today um, on this glorious uh, low country chamber of commerce kind of day. I was talking to some folks and some of you may be down here on vacation and we're so glad uh, that you're here with us today. Honored to have you uh, in our congregation and gathering and those of you who are online we're thankful for you i received a note uh, from somebody this week an email and she began it by saying i don't have anything of great importance to share with you but i wanted to just thank you and i wrote her back and i said that is of great importance Um, we miss being able to be together Uh, people ask me regularly what's it like pastoring in the pandemic and i said i don't know who our congregation is anymore I don't know who's still with us. I don't know who uh, can't come because of uh, physical reasons and concerns and those who just won't come because it's inconvenient. And we don't know anymore what the church is. And so we're thankful for all of you here and at home who are still plugged in and have an earnest desire to see the kingdom continue to grow and to build. That's our desire here, to see God's kingdom expand to see it continue to move forward. I hope you were as encouraged as I was in the last decade that 1,700 young people and coaches and, uh, have committed their lives to Christ through the ministry of FCA. You add on top of that what we heard two weeks ago from Young Life and uh, the myriad of kids who have committed their lives to Christ, and that's just two of our local partners. Uh, that is our ministry uh, given a way to go out and to do. So I hope you're encouraged by that. This church is a very generous church. I'm going to preface this sermon by saying that uh, because I'm about to get on you for lack of generosity. Um, And uh, this church, I'm not, Jesus is. Um, So take it up with him later. Uh, There's a lot of generous, we are a generous people. But there's so much more to be done in the kingdom. Fundraisers always say, we have every bit of money uh, to do everything that we want to do. It just happens to be in other people's pockets. And that's the truth. God said he is uh, the king who owns all things. And it's just a matter of encouraging his people to steward it properly. That's what Jesus is talking about a bit in this passage. This is a passage that personally I would have skipped had we not been going through the book of Luke. It's one of those hard passages. If you do topical, that's really a wonderful thing because then you get to choose the topics. And you choose the topics that are easier, that people respond to well, uh, that are are really good. When I was a singles and college pastor, uh, if the numbers were down, I'd do a series on dating. And boy, the numbers got back up. And uh, you offer some pizza and everybody comes. It was great. But you go into a passage like this where Jesus says, I didn't come to give peace, I came to divide. When he said, listen, be very, very careful. I'm going to return one day, and many of you are going to be caught unaware. And there will be a reckoning that will come when I return. And if you're caught unaware and you're caught misstewarding my goods, it won't necessarily be a very good day for you. These, these are tense verses. 
These are verses with weightiness that are in them. Because Jesus began this teaching in verses 1-12 to last week of saying, here's what a follower looks like. Uh, that it is one who comes after me, takes up his cross, uh, and is willing to confess me before men, even at great peril to himself or to herself. Uh, and that person, if they confess me before men, if they're not ashamed of me before men, I will uh, confess them before my Father who is in heaven, and I won't be ashamed of them. And that quote by Spurgeon has just stuck with me this week that we had in the bulletin last week. What you think of Jesus now is what He thinks of you in heaven. I thought, what do I think of Him now? How lightly do I take Him? And it's been a week of just conviction and of thoughts and then jumping into this passage and going, why didn't I get Chris to preach? And I'm going to work on that. But Jesus comes now. And it's a big passage. There's a lot in it. We're not going to cover all of it. But what we're going to build on is Jesus constantly teaches about kingdom. Jesus came to establish His kingdom, and then by and large, His teaching is very simplified if you think of it that way. He teaches on kingdom characteristics. He teaches on how to enter His kingdom. And then He teaches on what life in His kingdom uh, looks like for us. And so this week, he combines a lot of those things. And so I'm not going to give you the outline from the the beginning. You'll hopefully follow along with me. But the first thing that I want you to see is that Christ came into this world for the singular purpose of establishing his kingdom. That was his purpose only, to establish his kingdom. Parentheses, and by the way, he's going to return one day. Jesus came to establish it. That's what he teaches at the end of this passage, verses 49 to 53. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it be already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus was saying, that baptism that I'm about to experience, he was looking at the cross. And, and he, he referenced it, and he said, this baptism and how great is my distress. Jesus recognized the inaugural power of the cross for the establishment of his kingdom because it was at the cross and through the resurrection that Satan, our enemy of old, was absolutely defeated and cast down. Death lost on Easter morning. And Jesus said, that kingdom has now been established. Satan has been cast down from heaven. He no longer, like he did when Job was around, gets to speak to God about Job. Now it says that he's cast out. It's not like he's up there in heaven uh, talking about you and Jesus is having to have some sort of litigating uh, defense of you. No, Satan is gone. Now, he'll try to come and accuse to us of who we are, but he doesn't stand before God. Only Christ stands before God. The kingdom is now established. And what we see is in the entrance of Christ's kingdom, there are now two kingdoms in this world. And by the way, those kingdoms don't like each other. You thought things were bad in Washington, D.C. Things are even worse between the powers and the dominions of this present evil age and the powers of the glory of the kingdom of God. There is no partisan, there is no coming together around an issue. 
And what Jesus is saying is this kingdom that I've established, he said, do you think I came to bring peace? And all of us would go, yeah. Isn't that kind of what they said, the, the angels said to the shepherds, and we sang about just a few weeks ago at Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill to men, all of that good stuff? He said, yes, but you're misunderstanding. There is peace within my kingdom, but there is not peace between the kingdoms. Friends, we have misunderstood that. Jesus says there is peace in my kingdom. Once we come and we were in the kingdom and the, and the power of darkness, and by God's incredible grace, He gives us a new heart. We believe He gives to us the righteousness of Christ so that we are adopted now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We don't have dual citizenship. We love the idea of dual citizenship in the world, but there is no dual citizenship in eternity. Jesus says you're either in one or the other. And it is amazing to me that the church, especially in the last 12 months, how much hand-wringing there has been, how many headaches, how many conversations about, oh no, it doesn't seem that the world likes us. Bill, do you realize they're trying to limit our speech? Of course they are. They don't like our speech. Bill, do you realize that they don't want prayer in school? Yes, they're not Christian schools. They're public. And we're not in a Christian nation. I hate to break that to you. Our government isn't a Christian government holding up the Ten Commandments. It's a government that is secular and a country that is secular. And we wonder, why in the world don't they like us? We're in a different kingdom, friends. Get used to it. Now go home. <laughs> no, but you should get used to it. To recognize we want everybody to like us. We want there to be peace between the kingdoms. And there will never be. Jesus assassinated their king. He killed Satan. Now Satan is still fighting around a little bit, but that kingdom is not very happy about it. By the way, that kingdom hates FCA. That kingdom hates Young Life. That kingdom hates what you're doing in your families to raise your kids in the love and admonition of the Lord. That kingdom hates Hilton Head Christian Academy. That kingdom hates everything that we stand for. And Jesus said you'd expect that. Because I, bring, I came, and when you align yourself with me, guess what that means? You're not aligned with anyone else. Some of you are feeling the very effect of that, and it's personal, and it, it's hard in your own family. Jesus said, here, friends, it's going to be three against two, two against three, mothers against daughters, fathers against sons. Because when the gospel comes in, it doesn't mean that it saves everybody in a family. That is our hope. That is our desire. That's not our assurance. And Jesus says, this kingdom is a kingdom established against another kingdom. So he begins with that. And he said, this kingdom has a king. And that king is going to come back one day unannounced. That king, Christ, he says in here in the, in the first parts of, of this uh, chapter, he's talking and he gives the parable of the rich fool and then he talks about the master who goes away and their servants taking care of the house and they do stupid things and the master comes back and then another story of uh, of an owner who comes back and the master returns what in the world is he trying to say he's trying to say this god doesn't parent his household the way we parented ours i'm the father of three boys grown now 
And when we would go out of town, when we got to those fateful days, when we could leave town and leave the house in their possession, it was something like this. Boys, mom and dad are coming home. We will be home at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Everything better be in order. We've talked to the neighbors. We've talked to everybody who we possibly can talk to. They're looking out. Make sure the house is in order at 4 o'clock. Jesus looks and goes, that's really dumb parenting. Because Jesus' parenting of his household is this. Friends, this is my kingdom. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. You have the household. You have all of the stuff in the pantry. You have all of the stuff everywhere. You've got it all. All of it in the kingdom is yours. I'm coming home one day. But when? Just know I'm coming. And you need to be ready when I come. So parents of younger children, don't tell your kids when you're coming home. Just let them know you're coming home. And show up a day early one time just for fun. <laughs> See what happens. If you want to know. I'm sure it would never happen to your children. But Christ is saying this. I've established a kingdom. And I'm the king. And just as a good earthly parent would have certain expectations of how the child would manage the household in the parent's absence, so does the king. He has expectations of how we will manage his kingdom in his absence. And he will return one day for what is called a reckoning. He will return one day and make all things right. And so we live within this world of two kingdoms. We are a part of the kingdom of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ and profess your faith in Him, you are in His kingdom. And now there are certain expectations. There are certain things that we need to know about living in that kingdom. And the second big point is this. If there is a kingdom of heaven, there is a kingdom that Christ has established, and it sounds like a kingdom that I want to be in because it's an eternal kingdom uh, of which He is my Father and that He is my Savior, that He... And and I have the power of the Holy Spirit, that I have all the glories of heaven thrown in, forgiveness of my sins in this life. Second point is this, make every effort to make sure you're in that kingdom. That's what Jesus says. It is imperative. It, it is, you need to make sure. I lived, in, I'm old enough to when concerts came to town in Charlotte where I grew up, uh, there were, tickets went on sale in either the box office or at the record store in the mall. And uh, the Who were coming to town, U2 was coming to town, all the great bands, the Grateful Dead, all of them were coming to town. And I wanted to make sure that I got in the stadium. So man, I got there early, I got up front, I brought food, I did everything possible to make sure, to assure myself that I got good tickets for the show. Jesus is saying, you foolish people, if you do that much on silly things like concerts, if you do that much to get wherever you want to go in this life, how much more should you make it urgency to assure yourself that you're in the kingdom of heaven? That's what he says at the end of the passage. He says, look, he said, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Verse uh, 57, as you go with the accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you into the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer. The officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. He's alluding to the differentiation between heaven and hell. 
He's saying, listen, if you know that you're going to have to meet Jesus one day, that all of us are going to die, and you know that Jesus is the one we said last week, that God the Father is the one who can cast into hell. And we want to make sure we don't go there. I would do everything in my power to make sure that I'm right with Jesus this side of heaven. He said, there's an urgency that comes with it. Take it very, very seriously. He said, friends, we just don't know when that last day will be. I drove home after doing the funeral for Lisa's Aunt Bess yesterday. It was 35 degrees and raining and nasty. And I'm driving down I-77 from Charlotte and turned left onto I-26, which is such a wonderful corridor, from 26 to 95 that you know of, and took a right turn on 95. I believe I saw at least two fatalities. There were cars wrapped around trees, wrapped around each other. There were people driving insane speeds, trying to get somewhere that they thought was so important. And as I passed one of the cars that was mangled with, with luggage and things all around on the side of the road on I-95, I thought that family didn't get in the car expecting to be dead that day. And this passage was on my mind. Oh, I prayed that they had been right with Jesus before they got in the car that day. Because Jesus says, make every urgency to be in the right kingdom. Make every effort to make sure uh, that you're there. You interpret the times. You, you interpret everything that goes on. We're, we're always interested in these things. Bill, are we in the end days? Bill, do you think all of this COVID stuff has something to do with the end days? And my answer to you is yes. The end days began as soon as Jesus went to heaven. And the end days will end when Jesus returns. We're in them. Don't worry about the times. Even Jesus, before he ascended, said, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only my father does. No one else will know, so quit worrying about it. Here's what you should worry about. Look and inspect your own life to make sure you're in the right kingdom. So when the king returns, you're okay. When dad comes home, make sure it's a joyous occasion and not one of those <laughs> moments. But for many, many people, it's going to be one of those moments. Jesus says, make every effort to confirm your citizenship in his kingdom. That's what verses 54 to 59 are saying. Do whatever is necessary to make sure. Which leads to the next question. Bill, how do I know? How do I make sure? How do I know? Uh, this is what Jesus says in this passage. He said, if you believe that there's a kingdom and the king is going to return again one day and you're going to make every effort to make sure and assure yourself that you're in that kingdom, the scriptures say... Profess with you, believe in your heart, profess with your mouth that Jesus is king and you'll be saved. That's it. However, what Paul and James and others build on that is say, yes, there is a belief, there is a public profession, but there is a life that lines up with it. You can tell a tree by its fruit. You can tell a Christian by the fruit she or he bears. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things generosity, uh, moral control, all of the beauty that comes in the Christian life. And so we look, and we need to look and go, okay, what's the indicator, at least in this passage, that Jesus is talking about to assure myself that I'm in the kingdom? You want to know what it is? It's your relationship to things and wealth. Jesus comes so incredibly close to saying, if you are not a generous person, if you are a person who lacks generosity, most likely you're a person who is not in my kingdom. He comes really close to saying that 
in this passage and throughout all of Scripture. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, there was a man who had a field. The field was prosperous. That's a good thing. But the man thought it was all about him, and he kept it all. That we have anxiety and we have fear and we try uh, to keep everything for ourselves. Jesus is saying, look, generosity shows that you have a deep and a profound belief and trust in my Father, that you've entered into my kingdom, and you know that you're going to be taken care of. If you are not a generous person, if you are a person who builds bigger storehouses and keeps more and more stuff for yourself, because that is your value, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, Jesus is saying, look, you should be concerned. It is not my job to tell you whether you're a Christian or not. It is my job to point you to diagnostic tools within the Scriptures that will allow you, between God and you, to determine whether you believe you are an actual believer. And one of the things that I say to people all the time is, are you generous? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. What's the last thing you gave away that cost you something? I mean, you want a specific example? Well, yeah. Um... Okay, folks, Jesus is saying, listen, I gave away everything to you. When I come in and take rule in your life, guess what happens? My very life and principles take root in you, and so there's a willingness for you to say, you can have it all. Somebody said, oh, the forced socialism. It's not socialism, and it's not forced. It's beautiful generosity and care and concern for others over and above ourselves. That's what Jesus says. The key key indicator of kingdom citizenship in this passage is how we relate uh, to the things around us, to the material things and wealth around us. So, with that, how do we get that quality? That's the final thing, the few minutes that we have at the end. How do you gain, if you're sitting there and going, and I'm not really a very generous person, I... I mean, I, I kind of like my stuff. And maybe that person should just get a job and then they'd have stuff. Maybe there's a hard-heartedness and a coldness to you. Maybe there is a sense of which you went, well, uh, I don't think we should, I don't believe in the tithe. I don't believe in this. Whatever the case is, how can we begin to work these truths into our lives? I'm going to give you a few things. It's a matter of perspective first and foremost. It's a matter of perspective. The very beginning there when Jesus is interrupted rudely by this young man who says, Hey, Jesus, by the way, tell my, uh, my brother that I should have part of the inheritance. That'd be like one of you standing up and yelling at me and saying that right now. And Jesus went, man, a term of derision for a rabbi to use. He's like, I'm not here to arbitrate between you and your people. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, Be very careful. And he told him a story of the man who had the field, and God had blessed his field with growth. It was an agrarian culture. That's not a bad thing. The man did what was prudent. He built bigger storehouses because if you have more stuff, what do you need to do with it? You store it so it's not going to rot. You can take care of it. The problem was the man was all about himself and had no consideration for anyone else. Read that passage and highlight how many times it uses the word I and me. He is absolutely self-centered in his view of everything. 
And what Jesus is saying is a matter of perspective. It's not about me. If you woke up in the morning, and I know I give you this litany of things that I want you to do every morning uh, when you wake up, and you're like, Bill, I still have to get to work. I know you want to wake up, and you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life, and then you're going to wake up, and you're going to commit, believe the truth, commit your faculties. Here's another one. I want you to walk into the morning, in the morning in front of the mirror and stand there and look at yourself and say very boldly, it's not about me. That's what Jesus is teaching. It's not about you. But we are so incredibly self-referenced that Jesus comes in and what the gospel does and what Jesus' kingdom does is he displaces us off of our thrones. He dethrones us. And you know the problem with each of us? We like our thrones. We like how we rule our lives. We recognize that we don't do it perfectly. But the beauty of our rule is that it's got to be better than somebody else's rule and we still feel like we're in control of something. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, when I enter, I take the throne. No shared thrones. You're off. You're out. You're a beneficiary now of my kingdom rule. But it's about me. It's not about you. It's looking at all of your stuff and going, amazing, God, look at all this stuff you've given me. And in Hilton Head, man, we're the end of the rainbow. We're the pot of gold. This is where you come. Uh, this is it. And we got a lot of stuff down here. And the way that we should perceive our stuff is to go, God, what am I supposed to do with this stuff for you? How am I supposed to use my house that you gave me for you? You realize God really could care less about your house. You know that, right? Sorry, realtors. It's not a good sales pitch. But boy, do we care about our houses. We care about their size, their location, all the stuff in them. We redecorate. You know what we do with all the stuff that we redecorate with? I'm amazed. I would love somebody to do a study in our area of how many public storage units have been built in the last 10 years. You want to know why public storage units are being built at the clip that they are? Is because people have no kingdom mindset. They think it's about this world, and i got to keep that couch because I don't know when I'm going to need another couch. I need to keep those clothes, and I need to keep the furniture from my grandmother who gave it to me and my children don't want, but heaven forbid I sell that, use the proceeds to help somebody else. I need to save it. Jesus is going, it's not about you. You've got to displace yourself. He's saying, so if you want to apply these things in your life, get a new perspective that you're not on the throne, that we become Christ-centered in all of this. Recognize this, it actually is a matter of faith and belief. If we're not generous in our lives, if we're not willing to consider somebody before us, Jesus said in verse 28, O you of little faith. He didn't say, O you of little action. He didn't say, O you of anything else. He said, you don't believe. You don't believe that your heavenly Father is good. You don't believe that your heavenly Father wants to provide for you the very best. It says right in that, he says, consider the fields. Consider the birds. Consider the flowers. Take a moment and consider. And as you see how God has provided for them, and you are made in his image and redeemed by his Son, guess what? He's going to take care of you. And then he says in like the very next verse, he says, listen, here's your father's desire to give you his kingdom. <laughs> in raising kids, I always found it fascinating 
that sometimes they would take things. And I'd have to go and say, why did you take this? And what it really came down to was a lack of belief and faith that I was a good father and would have given it to them had they asked. As much as that hurt for them to impugn my goodness, how much more does it hurt our Heavenly Father when we impugn His? When He says, if you just would believe that I'm good, there are certain things that some of you need to start believing about God and some things that you need to stop believing about God. And the one that you need to start believing is this. He absolutely desires to take care of you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Uh, Wow. Any charismatics in here, Baptists, need an amen? Could really use an amen uh, on on that one. Uh, Man, that was bad. Do you believe that God cares for you? There you go. Friends, He does. But the fact of the matter is, the real answer is no, we don't. Because we live each and every day as if He doesn't. He's going, it's a matter of faith. What do you believe? What do you believe in? Next thing, quickly, it's a matter of desire. So it's a matter of perspective that it's not about me. It's a matter of faith of believing that God is good and and desires to give us these things. Now it's a matter of desire. What do you want? He says, seek God's kingdom first. So the question for you is, what are you seeking first? What's your greatest desire? And for some of you, you made vows a long time ago and you're still trying to keep those vows. I will never be poor like my parents. I will never do this. I will provide a better life than my parents were able to provide me. I will, I won't. I... And we live these vows. And what Jesus is saying is, what are you primarily given to? What's your greatest desire? Jesus says, seek his kingdom first. Let that be your primary desire. And he says, guess what? All the rest of the stuff gets thrown in. Isn't that awesome to think about? God says, you take on me. You look to me. You follow me. I'll take care of the rest of your stuff. I don't care how big your house is, but I'll have a house for you. I don't care how much food you got, but I'll have some food for you. You don't need to worry about all the other stuff. Just, take, just look at me and let me take care of you. I got you. I'll handle it. We are the classic case, if you're a counselor, you know the overfunctioner. We step in and we think we need to help God out a little bit because He just can't do it enough for us. And God's going, I can do it. What do you seek most? What do you seek most? What do you think about most? What do you think about most? Friends, it's this way. C.S. Lewis put it this way in The Weight of Glory. I'll rephrase it. It's as if somebody has given you an estate on the May River fully furnished, paid for, deed in hand. You have everything you ever could have wanted or asked for. And yet we stay in our shack on a dirt road and we continue to live there. God is going, you're too easily satisfied. I've given you the glories of heaven. Come. Come and enjoy them. This world has duped us. This world has duped us into the American dream. And friends, there's more than the American dream. There's the eternal reality. Fourth thing in this last point, that there's a sense of urgency. I've already talked about it. But guys, as I mentioned yesterday, there's no promise that each one of us is going to make it home today from this place. It's my hope. 
We don't know when the Lord may come. We don't know when Christ is going to return, and we don't know when uh, our last days of breath are. And so make it a matter of urgency to make sure you know. And then the final thing is this. Let me invite you to run a diagnostic in your life. It's not my job to tell you whether you're a Christian or not. Like I said before, it's my job to help give you diagnostic tools that you can use from the Bible to start to see some of these things and maybe develop them. So here's a good diagnostic tool. Ask this question, are you generous? It's tax season. How much did you give away? Look at your investments. Look at everything that we have and say, am I generous? That's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to come in and ask, but that's between you and the Lord. And then if you determine, I could be more generous, I'd like to be more generous, well, let me help you. Give something away today that matters to you. Give something away today. Go find it. Give it away to somebody who needs. I was talking to somebody recently who has quite a bit of wealth, and they're wondering what to do with their wealth, and they're considering leaving their wealth uh, for their children who don't love Jesus. And I thought, why would you do that? Why would you leave all of the wealth that you and your husband have worked all of these years to generate and leave it to individuals who hate Jesus and have nothing to do with his kingdom. Of course, give them something. They're your children. Start a foundation. Put all of your work to work for the things of the kingdom. You don't think that you're generous? Tithe. There's one. <laughs> Tithe. Give back to the church. Jesus said, build into the kingdom, to treasuries in heaven. And friends, by the way, I don't... <laughs> They were like, wow, if the church gives more, do you make more? No, that's not the case. I'm not buying a G7, and we're not doing anything silly like that. There have been too many people who have fleeced the church. Giving to the kingdom through the church is the key to you. It's not giving to Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. It's giving to the kingdom through the church. And if you don't trust the church, go out and start your own work and do that. Give straight to FCA. Give straight to Young Life. Give straight to RUF. Give straight. But give and do the work of the kingdom that's in there. I find it fascinating that men like Bill um, Gates and Warren Buffett, who are secular humanists, are giving away more of their wealth than Christians. We keep it. They give it away. It makes no sense to me in the grand scheme of it. Start to do these things. And friends, see if Malachi 3 is right. Malachi 3 said this, bring in the full tithe to the storehouse and see if I won't open the gates of heaven to bless you. Test me, is what God said. It's the only time he tells you to test him, and it's in the place of generosity. Do you want to know whether you're in the kingdom? Are you a generous person? If you're not a generous person, pause. Start wrestling through these things. Go back and consider. Might not be today because of the day that it is, but my invitation to you this week, go sit on a park bench somewhere and stare at a flower. Go sit on the beach and watch the birds. Go look and be amazed at how well God takes care of everything in his creation and then recognize of how much value you are and he'll take care of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for hard passages that move into places deeply held within our lives of how we view wealth, how we view money, how we view possessions. 
Christ, thank you that you view all of those things simply as litmus tests to our soul. We view them as essential to our souls. Help us to be displaced from our thrones. Help us to to bend the knee to you and to trust you and to believe you. Would we be a generous people where the work of your church here and around the world amaze all who come near it, that they would hear the good news of the gospel of first importance, that they would come and be transformed by our king and be a part of a kingdom that has no end. Father, thank you for this church. Would we continue to shine the light of Christ brightly? We praise you in his name. Amen.